Uh, when was the last time you felt helpless? Uh, this past Friday afternoon, my dad dropped me off at the San Diego airport to fly home back to Louisville. And we had no problem getting to the airport. Traffic wasn't bad. But when I arrived, the security line was like a mile long. And I honestly didn't know if I was going to be able to make my flight. Well, as I'm standing there, and I'm trying to think through all my options of, of what I could possibly do, all of a sudden I feel a tap on my shoulder. And when I turn around, the guy behind me takes his phone and he shoves it up into my face. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm at the age where I really can't see things clearly if they're up close. <laughs> so this guy kind of shoved it in my face, so... After the initial shock of that social interaction, I then uh, took a step back to, to see what was on his phone. And you know what was on his phone? As I looked, it was a sentence written in English on the Google Translate page that said, can you help me find my gate? I don't speak any English. The guy who held up the phone, he was a young Mexican man, probably in his early 30s, and he literally, literally did not speak a word of English. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, and, and I'm just to be honest with you, okay? So I'm thinking, okay, I might miss my flight, and now this guy is asking for help, for how, to me, help him find his gate. What would you do in that situation? Well, God in his kindness reminded me that, hey, there's, there's nothing I can really do to make my flight. It's in the Lord's hands. He stands above it all. And this guy is right in front of me. And the Christian thing to do would be to help this guy. So drawing upon my vast Spanish vocabulary, <laughs> which is only three words, I said, see. Sí. <laughs> and, and from that moment forward, I, I basically, I held his hand through the entire process. I helped him uh, get out his ID, his passport, and show it to the ticket agent or to the TSA agent. I helped him literally take off his shoes and then put his bag on the conveyor belt to go through that security thing. And then helped him go up the escalator and I walked him over to his gate. And thankfully, the security line moved quickly, so there was no threat of either of us uh, missing our flight, which was a, a praise to God's grace. But I have to tell you, after I, after I dropped him off at his gate... And then I, I went over to my gate and I sat down. I thought to myself, I, I couldn't help but wonder how helpless that guy must have felt. He can't speak the language. It's evident he'd never flown before. Didn't know where to go or what to do. I couldn't help but wonder how helpless he must have felt. 
Can you imagine? You know, I wonder if you can. Not, not that you've ever felt helpless at an airport, but have you ever felt helpless in a relationship? Or maybe, have you ever felt helpless when parenting your kids? Or kids, how about at school? Have you ever felt helpless at school? Especially kids when you're interacting perhaps with peers who aren't kind to you? Or friend, maybe what you feel helpless about is your sin. In fact, you don't have to say it out loud, but can I ask, and again, you don't have to say it out loud, but is there a particular sin you are struggling with right now in your life? Maybe the sin of worry, or maybe sinful lust has really gotten a hold of you. Is there any particular sin that you're struggling to fight? Or, or maybe, maybe you are suffering not because you have sinned, but because somebody sinned against you. Or maybe you're suffering simply as living in a fallen world and you are weary and you find yourself giving way to sinful thoughts and actions. Have you ever, or maybe better stated, are you currently feeling in some area of your life helpless? This morning we're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. And you know how many of the original readers of this letter felt? Many of them felt helpless. Many of them, as we discover later on in this letter, were suffering for their faith. Others of them were struggling with a besetting sin. Others of them suffered rejection by family members in public shame. So in our text this morning, the, the author, he invites the original readers, and I'm going to suggest, and us, to do something. Indeed, in these two verses, the author of Hebrews gives us some very, very encouraging news. News that I want to suggest speaks directly to whatever struggle you might be facing right now in your life. That's why I prayed before we even opened up God's Word, that this text would come alive to us, that we would read it, and that we would believe it. Because that is what the author and what our good God wants us to do. So what is that news? Well, if you haven't already, please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. That's page 1002 in that paperback Bible. And to get the full context, I'm going to start reading up in verse 14, though this morning we're going to just focus in on verses 17 and 18. 
So please follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and following. The author writes this. Since therefore the children, and he's referring to the children of God, those that Jesus is, is as our pioneers, bringing home to glory. He says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He's referring to Jesus, that Jesus took on flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. As we looked at last week, Jesus died, Christian, to deliver you from the fear of death. He took on human flesh. He suffered and died to deliver you from that. Verse 16, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he, Jesus, helps the offspring of Adam. And you know who that is? That's every person who's put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now here's where we're going to be camping out this morning. Verse 17. So he helps us who belong to God through faith in Christ. And then verse 17. Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. And what's his aim? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. And then notice what the author then says. Building off why Jesus came and him being our great high priest. Verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted. Christian, listen to this. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen and amen. This is God's good, good word. In July of 2021, the Associated Press ran this story. People are quick to believe the worst when they are stressed. According to the news report, two professors at University College London wanted to find out if feeling stressed changes how a person processes and uses the information they gather. And you know what they found? According to their report, the answer is yes. People are quick to believe the worst when they are stressed. The professors write this. They say, our research suggests that under stress, people weigh each piece of evidence that supports undesirable conclusions more than when they are relaxed. People weigh each piece of evidence that supports undesirable conclusions more than when they are relaxed. What do you think? Do you find that to be true? Is it true? I see your heads are nodding, yes? 
Well, let me ask you this then. What is stressing you right now? What is weighing heavy upon you? Because you know what else we can be prone to do when stressed besides just thinking the worst? You know what else we can be prone to do when stressed? We can sin. We can sin in our responses. We can sin in our attitudes. And we can sin in our actions. Yet, friend, consider the good news of the passage that I just read. For you know what this passage teaches Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, shout this comforting truth, and that's this. And that is, as our merciful high priest, Jesus can help the tempted. As our good and merciful high priest, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, Christian, He can help you. He can help me. He can help us when we're under stress. He can help us when tempted to give way to sin. This passage has such good news. Our Lord Jesus can help us when tempted. Christian, are you in despair? Are you struggling with some type of sin? Are you feeling hopeless in your marriage? Are you feeling hopeless at school? Christian, be of good cheer as our merciful high priest, Jesus can and is willing to help. You know what this means? It means that, think of that besetting sin. When you're tempted to look at something you ought not to look at on your phone, or when you're tempted to give way to self pity, or when you're tempted to give way to fear, or when you're tempted to respond in anger when things don't go your way, or when you're tempted to doubt God's goodness, Jesus stands ready to help you in your moment of need. That is, He offers Himself and His mercy and His grace to help you, Christian, say no to sin and instead please and honor Him. How good is our Savior? Amen? So here's the question, how is it that Jesus can help the tempted? Well, this is the very question I want to suggest the author aims to answer. Please observe that the author cites three reasons why Jesus can help us in our time of need. And the first is this, Jesus can help the tempted because first, He shares our human nature. Indeed, if we've been reading Hebrews chapter 2 carefully, we will have noticed that the author has been actually hammering this point home since verse 9. In fact, look there with me. Look at verse 9, verse 14, and then again verse 17. Listen to what the author says. Verse 9, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Then verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, which is flesh and blood. And then verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. In every respect. 
Jesus can help the tempted because Jesus shares our human nature. I recently read of a woman who had been shopping and she bought a dress that she knew she could not afford. And when she got home, the husband naturally asked, why did you do it? Why did you buy this dress you know we couldn't afford? And the wife said, I just couldn't help it. She said, the devil tempted me. The husband looked at her and said, well, why didn't you say, get thee behind me, Satan? To which the wife said, I did. But he just leaned over my shoulder and whispered, my dear, it fits you beautifully in the back. Now, it is not uncommon for Christians to say, much like that wife, the devil made me do it. Right? Have you heard that phrase before, the devil made me do it? Right? But you know what is becoming increasingly more common today? My body made me do it. This is to say many Christians believe that our human bodies make us sin. That is, due to some traumatic experience, you cannot prevent your body from making you sin. Right? I cannot help but give way to sinful worry. My, my body makes me sin. I cannot help but get angry. My, my body makes me sin. I mean, the body keeps score, right? I, I cannot help but sin as a result of the trauma I experienced. My body makes me sin. However, the Bible stands against such notions. Now, to be sure, your body can make it hard for you to obey. And we are called to show compassion and care for those who are suffering. However, Christian, the body cannot make you sin. You know why? Because if your body can make you sin, then we have a serious problem with Jesus. Notice, what does the author teach about Jesus in the verses I just read? The author goes out of his way to teach that the eternal Son of God took on human flesh. Indeed, as verse 17 states, Jesus was made like us in every respect. You know what that means? It means that in his humanity, Jesus had a body just like ours. Jesus aged. He got hungry. He got tired. He got thirsty. His joints hurt after a long day of work. When he fell down and scraped his knee, it bled. Jesus was not mainly human or partially human. No, Jesus was fully human. The eternal divine Son of God took on human nature. But tell me, did Jesus sin? No. The author of Hebrews and the rest of Scripture makes this abundantly clear. 
So you know what this means? It means the same body you have that Jesus took upon. It means that your body cannot make you sin. This is not only implied in this truth that the eternal Son of God was made like us in every respect. But it is also clearly taught throughout the New Testament. For example, what does Paul write in 1 Thessalonians 3 or 4? He says, for, notice, notice what the author under the inspiration of the, uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit does. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to what? Control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So notice, Paul commands that which is not corporal, to control what is corporal. In other words, we are commanded to control our body, not have the body control us. And as we'll see here in just a moment, God gives us, in His love and kindness, the necessary resources to do just that. Christian, please hear me. We don't sin because we have human flesh. We sin because we have corrupt human hearts. Our problem lies in our souls. In other words, tr- please hear me, trauma doesn't make us sin. According to Scripture, terrifying events, please hear me, don't implant seeds but rather reveal roots. They uncover what's already in our souls. And what I want you to notice is that Jesus took on human flesh so that he could become our great high priest. Notice how this is clearly stated in verse 17. Jesus had to be made like us. That is, he became like us in every respect so he could help people who are suffering. Because you see, you know what our greatest need is? And it's really important how you answer this question. Indeed, it's very revealing how a person answers this question. What is my greatest need? Our greatest need is redemption from sin. Which leads to the second reason why Jesus is able to help you when tempted. Jesus can help you when tempted because... He satisfied God's wrath for your sin. Look at the rest of verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Uh, Several years ago, my car was making a weird sound whenever I gave it gas and I I pushed on the accelerator. So when I got home, I did what I see everybody else on TV do when their car makes it outside. I I got home and I popped open the hood and I I looked at the engine. Now, did I have any idea what I was looking at? No. 
hey, hold on. <laughs> you answered that way too quickly. <laughs> but it's true, okay? Did I have any idea what I was looking at? Or, what it, or rather, what I needed to look for? Answer is no. Yet when I looked over the engine, based on my little to no college, I, I concluded that my problem, the problem was a lack of oil in the engine. So you know what I did? I poured four quarts of oil into the engine. Now, did I happen to check the oil level before I did that? Please, please. You're humbling enough as it is. No, I just decided to pour the oil in the engine. And guess what happened the next time I drove the car? The car still made a weird sound, and I had a bunch of smoke coming out of the exhaust pipe. Now, eventually, I had someone who knew something about cars look at my vehicle. And you know what was making the noise? Not the engine, but the ball bearings in one of the wheels. Yes, I was that far off. (laughs) But here's the lesson I learned. I learned that misdiagnosing the problem will always lead to the wrong solution. You don't have to say it out loud, but what do you think is humanity's great problem? Is it a lack of knowledge? Is it the need to be enlightened? Is it the need to be set free from religious constraints? Actually, let me just, let me just back up a second. And, and here's actually a question we need to ask even before those questions. You know what the first question we need to ask is, what is going to be our authority to determine what the problem is? Who are we going to allow to diagnose the problem? Will it be the wisdom of man? Or will it be God's word? Because the Bible clearly answers that question, doesn't it? What our great problem is. And the answer is sin. As the Apostle Paul so succinctly put it in Romans 1, 18-21. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. I know it's a lot of text, but this is what he writes. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Paul is saying, God has made it plain that He's out there, that He exists, and that He's powerful. Look at what He's made. It's been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So listen, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. 
What is humanity's problem? Look at that last line. We have not honored him as God or given thanks to him. You see, based on God's word, everyone knows there's a God. The Bible clearly teaches that everyone knows there's a God they are accountable. Why? Because as this verse says, God has revealed it. Indeed, God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly perceived. Yet what does sinful man do with this revelation of God? They suppress the truth. As author and counselor Dr. Heath Lambert has correctly stated, because people cannot bear to confront their own guilt, they suppress the truth of God revealed in general revelation. And this is why I, every person we talk to we, we all know that we are guilty and in need, please hear me, of atonement. We all know there's a God we're accountable to and that we're guilty and we're in need of atonement. And I would suggest to you that the entire apparatus of modern psychology seems to exist to attempt to absolve man of his guilt, please hear me, apart from atonement. I mean, do we not see this type of thinking played out all over our society? It's not hard to see. Instead of turning to God, you know what the world's solution is? The world's solution is to disparage God and make oneself a permanent victim. This means I'm absolved of any responsibility, especially to a God, and I'm afforded rights. And if you say I'm personally responsible or you don't give me what I believe I'm owed, the rights I believe I'm afforded, you are labeled at best as toxic and as worse, a threat who needs to be silenced. Sinful man suppresses the truth. Why? Because they cannot bear to confront their own guilt. This is why our greatest problem isn't a lack of knowledge. Our greatest problem is sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, we are under God's wrath. But you know what? We don't have to be. You know why? Because as this verse makes clear, Jesus became a high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for our sin. You see, in the Old Testament, the priest would make sacrifices for the sins of the people. But, but no priest ever imagined that he would be the sacrifice himself. But Jesus was. This is what the author is getting at when he says Jesus made propitiation for the sins of the people. The word propitiation designates, please hear me, both forgiveness of sins 
and the appeasement and satisfaction of God's wrath. Jesus was faithful in his service to God, which was to go to the cross to die for the sins of his people. You see, the debt we owe God for our sin was so great that while man alone owed it, only God could pay it. This is why the same person must be both man and God. This is why the eternal divine Son of God needed to be made like us in every respect. And to be clear, please hear me, Jesus did not appease the devil in atoning for sins. No, God was appeased. God forgave sin through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And friend, I have to ask you, have you put your faith in Christ alone for your salvation? Or are you still suppressing this truth? Are you disparaging God and believing you are a permanent victim? Friend, you are not a victim. No, you're a sinner who needs a Savior. And God has offered you salvation through the person and work of His Son, our great High Priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you put your trust in Him? To the Christian, you know what this means. That God has satisfied, Jesus satisfied God's wrath. Hear this good news. Jesus died to forgive you of your besetting sin. That sin that you're struggling with. Indeed, what does 1 John 1.8 say? If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to what? To forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know who can't give you that? Every secular therapy and counseling method. Only in God's word do we have this life-giving truth that you can be forgiven of your sin and made right with your creator and be brought into fellowship with your God. The guilt that plagues humanity that causes us to do all sorts of crazy things to escape that feeling. The only relief that can truly meet that need is found in your great high priest. This good news is found in the person and work of Christ. And if that weren't great enough, Jesus not only saves you, but he also sanctifies you. That is, Jesus stands ready to help you when tempted. So Jesus, as our high priest, not only saves you by satisfying God's wrath, but as this verse goes on to say, he also is there to help you when tempted. Because look at verse 18. How, why do we know this is the case, or why can't he do this? Because Jesus suffered when tempted. Look at verse 18. So after talking about how Jesus has made propitiation for the sins of the people, verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, oh, what good news, he's able to help those. Help those who are being tempted. One evening many years ago, 
when my daughter, Kate, was about five years old. I was laying Kate down for bed for the evening, and as I was tucking her in, we were talking about her day, and that particular day had been really hard for her. She had been struggling with a particular sin that she kept giving into at her little five-year-old self. And well, after I prayed with her, I then said, you know what, Kate? I said, tomorrow morning, I got I to gotta go off to work, but you know, why don't you talk to mom about your sin? She'd be very glad to help you. And Kate said, oh, mom can't help me. Very confident. She said, mom can't help me. I said, mom can't help you. Why is that? And Kate says, because mom doesn't sin. <laughs> and then foolishly, I asked, well, what about me? <laughs> and without me saying a beat, Kate said, oh yeah, all the time. Tell me, why did my five-year-old daughter believe her mom couldn't help her with sin? It's because she thought Stephanie didn't sin. And you know what? Kate is not alone in her thinking. Not that my wife is without sin, but in this regard, please hear me, this line of thinking that if a person doesn't sin like me, then that person cannot help me. Many people think the same way about Jesus. What I mean is they often think, well, Jesus didn't sin, so how can he help me? I'm a sinner. I need help from someone like me who has failed. But friend, the exact opposite is true. You don't need someone who has failed like you. No, you need someone who is victorious when you were not. And that is precisely who you have in Jesus. Please hear me. Jesus knows far more about temptation than we do because he endured far beyond the point where the strongest of us gives in to the temptation. Commentator B.F. Westcott is really helpful here. He writes this. He says, sympathy with the sinner in his trial does not depend on the experience of sin, but on the experience of the strength of the temptation to sin, which only the sinless can know in its full intensity. He who falls yields before the last strain. You see, when the author of Hebrews writes that Jesus suffered when tempted, what he's saying is that when Jesus was tempted, he had all the pressures you and I experience and more. Yet he did not fail. Therefore, he can best show others how to succeed. Take trauma, for example. Did not Jesus suffer trauma? Did he not go 40 days and 40 nights without food and water, all the while being tempted by Satan? How about the trauma of being unjustly arrested? 
Or how about the trauma of being betrayed by someone close to you? Or how about the trauma of having someone trying to kill you? Did Jesus not experience that? I mean, did not the Jews seek to kill him and plot to kill him? Indeed, did Jesus not suffer the trauma of being beaten and whipped and mocked and then crucified? Did Jesus sin? No. Did his beaten, starved, thirsty body make him sin? No. Jesus suffered greatly, yet did not sin. This is why, friend, I beseech you and I want to encourage us to guard our hearts why God's Word is superior and sufficient to help us in our time of need. Because unlike the destructive therapies and counsel of this world, Scripture doesn't give you a system to help you with your struggles. It gives you a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? The Bible gives you a person who has suffered when tempted, yet did not sin. A person who comes to the aid and help of his own to give mercy and grace in your time and my time of need. Why would we not run to that? Why would we busy ourselves with the wisdom of man when we have a great high priest who stands ready? For what does 1 Peter 2.21 state? Jesus left us an example to follow in our suffering. He showed us how we can suffer and suffer well. And the good news of Scripture is that Jesus comes to our aid to help us honor God in the midst of our trauma and pain. So think for a moment about that sin you're struggling with. Or think about that hardship you're experiencing. Friend, Jesus stands ready to help you if you will come to Him. As the author of Hebrews states just a few verses later in chapter 4, verse 16, Jesus stands ready to give you mercy in your time of need. And again, you will not get this anywhere else in the solar system except here. So again, let me ask you, what's your struggle? Is it a health issue? God wants to help you honor Jesus in your health issue. Is it a relationship difficulty? Jesus wants to help you honor God in your relationship difficulty. Is it a hardship at work? Jesus wants to help you honor God in your hardship at work. Go to His Word. Go to His Word for the wisdom and counsel you need. Our great high priest... Indeed, Christian, have you consulted the wisdom of God's Word? And have you considered what comfort and truth God calls you to dwell upon in the midst of your hardship? What priest are you turning to? What authority? 
turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, who stands ready to help you when you are weary and worn out. I mean, is the song not true? What a friend we have in Jesus. Amen? All our griefs and pains to bear. Faith, I don't know what this week might hold for you, but I know who holds your week in his hand. The one who stands above your week and my week, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us run to him in our time of need, for he is faithful and true. Amen? Let's pray.